Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And I am recording this on September 11th. It always kind of takes me by surprise on the anniversary of what was one of uh, the biggest, if not the biggest, quote unquote, terror event that happened in America. And, you know, it's kind of faded into the uh, landscape, but uh, it is something I think most of us remember, you know, what was happening to us, where we were, uh, that kind of thing at that moment in time. But it's hard to imagine it was so, I think it's 22 years ago. It's hard to imagine it's been that long, but that was a real flagship event for so much of what's going on in our world today. And it happened from our perception, mostly slowly and incrementally. And so today I want to attempt to talk about something that is just too big, really, for just a silly little podcast. And it's still kind of stewing around in my brain. And it's so simple and complex at the same time. Uh, And for most people will be unwanted information, because the only people that really would take value from what I'm saying are the people or what I want to talk about today are the people who look at something like 9-11 or what's happened, you know, in the last however many years and are willing to say, okay, what's really going on underneath? Because the catch is we're caught up in the analysis and the details, but what drives all of this underneath at the more instinctual, simple level is pretty much everything I've been talking about. Uh, The push, pull, pause, fight, flight, freeze. Uh, And I want to introduce sort of a third, the wanted and the unwanted. Uh, And so I'm going to introduce, I guess, a fourth simple concept, predator, prey. And I talked a little bit about that, you know, when I was talking about psychopaths. So Uh, This is not a podcast for most people. Uh, It is a podcast in which I'm basically at this point thinking out loud because uh, in a world where we felt like we had a future, it would be an idea that I would take years to develop. I have 60 years developing it. I mean, 40 or 50 years developing it at this point. Uh, Write a really well-researched, documented book Uh, and then spend, you know, a chunk of time promoting it. Well, we all know I'm never going to do that. Uh, In addition to my own uh, levels of being able to participate are fading, you know, I'm just not going to be able to continue. I don't know how much longer. So I just wanted to get it out there. I just wanted to plant seeds, and I wanted to introduce these ideas because uh, I can see all these things, you know, I don't know what to do with them. And uh, this one is so simple and so fundamental and such a core driver of all the experiences that we're having. Uh, And there's not going to be really anything you can do about it, but it helps explain what's happening to us and why. And 
you know, I'm trying to apply this idea about how we move forward into the future. But at this point, it's too late. And so it's only really helpful for your personal experience, um, what you might want to teach children, and an understanding, you know, of what's happening to all of us collectively, because it's been allowed to exist and gain so much momentum. There's just no stopping it with any kind of simple solution. So I'm going to take a brief breath and start over here with you. And uh, again, this will be a little uh, jumbled up and incoherent because I'm trying to pull in a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. And I haven't, you know, I'm just not capable of, of writing a big, long, complex book. But it doesn't mean I don't understand the idea. So with that, we'll just plant the seed in the ethers and the podcast universe. And maybe other people will sometime at some point take it and run. So for you who are still here and are willing to dive into this, here we go. So I started all this because I talked about what is wired for danger. I recognized that uh, I wasn't like other people. And, you know, my defining moment was in the emergency room when we had a about 40 people and we were under a gang attack, basically. The firemen had brought two competing games to this. There had been an incident at, the, uh, at a park, a barbecue. Uh, they brought two competing gangs to the emergency room for medical care, which you didn't do. You always split the gangs up between different hospitals. And so the fight started to happen in the parking lot. So it escalated. There was a lot of chaos. Uh, and apparently, you know, everybody was told to go into the break room and hide until they were told it was okay. At some point, I looked around, and every single person who was in that emergency room as a staff member was gone, and I was standing there. And I heard over the the loudspeaker, Jill, report to the uh, break room. And I will never forget the moment I opened the door, <laughs> and all pe- they were all facing me. Uh, some of the girls were crying, and they were looking at me, in terror. What's going on out there? You need to come inside. And I remember looking at all of them saying, well, I'll come back and let you know when things are okay. Closing the door, heading back out into the fray. And and it was one of the most exciting nights of my life. It was a defining moment because emergency room people are wired for danger people. They don't do well in the rest of the hospital because they like the rush, they like the intensity, they like the pressure. Uh, And, you know, I was still a baby social worker. I didn't know most of these things, and I didn't really know these things about myself. But that was the moment when I kind of thought, you know, I am not like other people. And, you know, I've never forgotten that, but I've also never forgotten looking around at all of them thinking they all looked older. The ones that had been there a long time, they looked older than they should have. Uh, You know, they were hardened. They were unhappy. And I remember thinking, I don't want to stay in the emergency room because I don't want to end up like this. And I remember the day I knew I'd been there and I was changing because a woman was looking for her brother who had been shot, right? 
And my response in my head, I don't think I said this out loud, but I may have, oh, it's no big deal. It's just in the leg, right? And and it's no big deal to me. It's no big deal to the emergency room people. It's a big deal to her and to her brother, but you become hardened to the pressure uh, because it's you're constantly evaluating, is this a real emergency or uh, no, that guy's going to be okay, so I'm not going to worry about it. So uh, at some point, you know, in that process, I came to know something about myself that I didn't understand as a young girl. And I didn't do anything with that except for that I knew those were my people. And so part of this whole Wired for Danger uh, exploration for me has been uh, I, I connect with my people, my tribe, more so than I do others. And as I have, you know, moved forward out into the world, you know, I've had lots and lots of different experiences. Uh, and as I've moved forward with you, I've been trying to define those through the nervous system, uh, through simple things that we understand uh, in our everyday life. And simple processes, you know, so the fight, flight, freeze is the sympathetic nervous system telling us how to react into perceived danger. And we all perceive danger in a different way. Uh, We're all uh, deciding how dangerous. So when I'm in the emergency room, it is dangerous. Uh, Everybody I worked perceived too much danger and they followed orders, go lock down and wait until the professionals tell you it's time to come out except for me. I didn't, don't tell me what to do. I'm going out, right? And so there's a point where we give away our authority based on a perceived danger. And the reason that's so important is that we're in a moment in time where we have lost the ability to claim authority. And you've also heard me, you know, about my rants as a social worker saying, you know, if I remember being in the hallway, stomping up and down going, well, if everybody would just take responsibility for themselves, you wouldn't need people like me. You wouldn't need problem solvers. You wouldn't need people to clean up other people's messes if everybody just took responsibility for themselves. If we understood what accountability was and we had ways to hold ourselves accountable or each other accountable, and when those two things don't happen, now you have a control issue. Who's in charge? Who's going to take control when others won't take responsibility? And how do we decide what we are and are not responsible for based on who is the authority figure or entity or institution or law or mandate? And why do we give our authority to something external and outside of ourselves? And, you know, what kind of got me on all this is I can see something happening and it's not going to happen soon. It's going to happen down the the pike here. And I'm trying to decide, you know, how I feel about that. Is it something that, you know, I need to do something about? And that is, uh, there is going to be a point 
where this version is going to come to a close. This uh, Marxist, communist, fascist version is going to come to a close. But there's the next persecuted group is going to be women again. And I, I listened to a podcast on the witch trials. And, you know, history repeats, right? It's just cycle after cycle after cycle. And, you know, I'm listening to that. And, you know, one of the questions I've had for myself is what happens to us as women when we cannot claim authority over ourselves because we're not physically strong enough to mandate it? And so these are just all the things that are kind of swimming around right now in that we are systematically giving our authority away to external people, institutions, and circumstances, and realizing too late that we have put ourselves as prey into the spider's net uh, web, and we're pretty much too tied up. We're not getting out at this point. And you know, I started to think, well, are we as wired for danger? Are we the predators? And is fight and flight prey? Again, you know, we're all three things. And I think that there's some truth to that. And how you have good predators and bad predators, uh, you know, people who predate for good, go out and get food and take care of everybody. And those who predate for not good, the unwanted, right? To seek more power, more control, more land, take other people's stuff, right? So the predators are usually the ones that lead the uh, bad stuff happening, except when society holds them in check and those who are not meant to be predators are allowed to move forward. And that's really, you know, what we're seeing. And what that means is that when you don't take responsibility for yourself, you're giving it to somebody else, right? And so uh, I'm not responsible for feeding myself, but I'm going to go to the grocery store and get food. Well, it starts off with my food is good. Then, you know, my food has a lot of chemicals in it. Then my food doesn't have very much nutrition in it. Now my food has weird toxic crap in it. Now my food has weird mRNA nanotechnology in it. Now my body is destroyed and there's nothing I can do about it because I can't undo all the food I've eaten because I did not choose to be responsible for the food that I put in my body. And it's too late, right? It's too late for most of us. We're just too toxic and too messed up. Uh, We're all going to have a different response to the food. But the only reason that happened was because we did not choose to continue to be responsible and accountable for the food that came into our body. So we didn't maintain control And somebody else took that over. And it began, you know, with good intentions. And it ended up with someone like Bill Gates buying up all the farmland and 
wanting, you know, putting the vaccines or the toxic crap into the food. And and now we're victims. Oh, poor me. Look what happened to me. Because we didn't deal with it at the beginning. We're only waking up to it at the end. And what that has to do with uh, who we are is really uh, our boundaries. Now, I've talked about boundaries a long time ago, and I didn't go back and listen to that podcast, so I'm sure I'm repeating myself. But, but basically, when you are in a fight-flight-freeze response, you are establishing, how do I want to be safe? So in some instances, you know, you're safe by pushing forward and fighting whatever the thing in front of you that's creating danger. Uh, Sometimes you're safe by removing yourself from the situation, running from it. Uh, And sometimes you're safe by holding very, very still, right? Camouflaging, being unnoticed, letting the danger pass. So Every stress response has a very specific reason, and all of those reasons are designed to keep you safe. Now, in nature, you have the same situation. In animals, you have the same situation. And so I had an experience uh, two days ago that just like crystallized all this for me, is that As humans, we have abandoned, for the most part, uh, our innate response to danger. So I've been talking about the big stuff, but there's a million subtle things that are happening. we, we are learning about that as grooming, you know, how they groom, how sexual predators groom children, how... Uh, gaslighting is a way of grooming us into mental insanity. So you've got physical sexual violation, you have mental violation, uh, you have emotional violation, you're being manipulated emotionally into uh, ideas that are not true. And in nature, you have very simple rules, right? It's territory, food, protecting the young. You know, animals don't attack you because they're bored. You know, they don't attack you because they uh, think, oh, it's a good day to die. They only risk their life to protect when it's something that will cost their life. Because Uh, at an instinct, because we don't really know what goes on with animals, they understand that by attacking and fighting, they're also putting themselves at risk. So you don't see uh, things for the most part fight uh, unless they are protecting something. And all of nature operates at the very core value, core belief, core instinct. How do we protect the species. And we protect the species by protecting the territory because the territory equals the food source and the food source equals survival so that we can reproduce. Now, it's really, really super simple and humans are no different. We are biologically just another animal within nature system, right? 
but because we have a more complex mental, emotional, and spiritual component, we've created an infinitely more complex society and system. And because for whatever reason, most of us operate under this idea that because uh, I'm good, everybody else is good, and even worse, we operate under this idea that everybody thinks and feels the way I do. So we move forward into the world in a way that says, I can't imagine somebody would do something bad to me intentionally because we would never do something bad to someone intentionally. And that isn't how it works. And so nature is very on alert about protecting itself. And there's a whole series of systems it sets to set boundaries. And so we're going to talk about wolves and dogs. And if anybody knows anything about a wolf pack, everybody has a specific role in the pack. Uh, there's the alpha, male and female. They're the only ones that are allowed to procreate. Uh, nobody else is allowed to have babies. Now, that whole group raises the babies, uh, but also one of the people, or one of the, the wolves in that pack is what's called an omega. And an omega wolf is the one that takes all the crap. Uh, it's the one that, that relieves the tension. It will allow itself to be attacked. It's the one that eats last after everybody has eaten because the alphas eat first and then there's a pecking order. So the, everybody has a role within the group. And the way they teach each other, correct, teach the babies and correct each other is through incremental signals, right? So the first signal might just be a look. The second signal might be a growl. The third signal, and you're still not getting the message here, right? So the third signal is uh, flipping you on your back and going for your neck, right? Pinning you down. The fifth time, fourth or fifth time is you're not getting this, you're out of the group or we're going to kill or they kill them, right? So there's very, it's incremental. It's not all or nothing. It doesn't come out of nowhere. There is a, there is a system of correction. It's a boundary system. It's a system that keeps the power structure in check so the group can survive, and mostly the alpha male and female are good leaders. I'm sure occasionally you get ones that don't do a good job. And at some point, a younger male and a younger female challenge and either win or lose. And that's how the species survives. It's very simple. Now, dogs are innately part of that. So if we left them alone and you put them out in the wild, that's what they revert back to, simple rules. But when you bring them into the domesticated culture, we demand that they follow our rules, but they are wired to follow wolf rules. Now, if any of you have ever watched Caesar Milan uh, work with dogs, he'll tell you, you know, all he's really doing is having you operate as the pack leader. And, you know, I remember when he was brand new, and I was actually, uh, I actually went to go see him. He was in Los Angeles. He was in the industrial section 
Los Angeles isn't like a city. It's just a great big spread of buildings. But he had this huge uh, warehouse where he had this whole system for the dogs. And it was like in the garment district kind of thing, right? It was all cement, you know, and tiny alleys and cars. Uh, and he would take, you know, like 40 dogs with him out into, you know, some of the places where they could hike. And he would control that entire pack of dogs without any problems. They didn't fight with each other uh, and they didn't run away. And he was, you know, he got them all. And he was raised in Mexico where dogs slept outside, dogs were dogs, and uh, you they were expected to, to follow dog rules, but the person was still in charge. And so uh, I had had a puppy that was crazy. And so uh, I knew he was aggressive and it was my second dog. Uh, and I remember, you know, reading about him. And so I wanted to go down there uh, and I didn't get to go in. And he just, you know, it was like $80 for 10 minutes. It was ridiculous. And he just flipped him over on his back and says, yeah, your dog's aggressive. And then, you know, left. So uh, I didn't have a great experience, but he was very busy. He was starting, you know, had been in the paper. So he was starting to get a lot of attention. And it's fascinating to watch him with the people because the dogs are not the problem. The people are the problem. We are the ones that are screwing our dogs up. The dogs themselves can sort it out very, very easily. And what's fascinating when you watch him with the people is how difficult it is for the human to understand this alpha place, especially if they are a flight freeze person. The fight people get it a lot more quickly and the fight, the flight freeze people, right, are super uncomfortable because they don't want to be leader of the pack. Oh, I don't want to hurt its feelings. Oh, I don't want to be mean. Uh, and they don't have that energy within themselves to claim authority, to lead, to be the one that the dog looks to for answers or leadership. What happens to a dog in a house without clear leadership is the dog tries to take over and it creates a lot of anxiety and it doesn't understand the rules and so it acts out and then we yell at it and we do all these things uh, trying to control the dog without understanding this very simple leadership model. Uh, the other thing we do with dogs is that we expect them to be perfect, right? I've always been fascinated about that. Like, we're allowed to have bad days. We're allowed to have days where we don't feel like cleaning up or making the bed or whatever, right? But we expect our dogs to be 100%. I said, sit, you're going to sit, right? I said, come, you're going to come. I say, you know, for me, you're going in the bathroom now, you're going in the bathroom now. I mean, it's very... Uh, we're very uh, demanding of an animal to respond perfectly every single time. You know, we do that with horses and we do that with any kind of animal training, right? We expect the animal to be perfect. You're not allowed to have a bad day. You're not allowed to feel good. You're not allowed to be grumpy. You're not allowed to be tired. You have to follow orders every single day. Uh, or, you know, there's the other side of it where you don't even pay attention and they go do what they want and blah, blah, blah. But, but at a practical level, 
we do expect our animals, our dogs, to exist under our rules, whether we're clear with those rules or not. And we don't expect exceptions, right? You will behave every single minute of every day. And we don't follow the corrective process of just a gentle, you know, like a clicker response, right? A cue uh, to a graduated response level. We, we might do, oh, come on, just sit to, to, you know, the people who then beat the crap out of the dog. You know, one of them, I remember being in the park. We used to walk these dogs in the park and this guy was sitting on the park bench and he was screaming at his dog, come, come, come. And he was super mad. And the dog finally came and then the dog, you know, his little dog and it was, you know, really submissive. And then he starts beating the crap out of the dog. And I'm like, what incentive is there to respond to the come command when all you're going to do is get the crap beat out of you, right? So we're very irrational and inconsistent about how we interact with dogs based on their very simple biology in pack behavior. Now the question is, are we as humans also wired for the same type of pack behavior? Now the reason this flashed into my mind, I know this is boring for some of you, but there really is a lot in this. So, uh, so I had, uh, you know, I have not been feeling good and I, these two, these dogs are too much for me and I have been working with them and they are getting better. But when I'm really, really tired, I don't try to be too corrective because I'm cranky, right? And I'm explosive. And so, uh, and I'm on a rhythm with them and I take them out, you know, to go to the bathroom. They only like to go, they're so ridiculous. They'll go only in this one place in the afternoon, it's very, or during the day, it's very aggravating. So I have to walk out into a place where other people might see us. And if they see other people or cars, they get excited and they don't, they won't go. So, so this is, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to be out. It's hot. So they're on the leash and we're going to the spot, right? And somebody starts to walk up. So I'm frustrated because now they're not going to go because they're losing focus. They're still in their, you know, they're like a year and a half. So technically, you know, they're still kind of in their puppy. So they're pulling on me uh, and I let them, you know, be in front of me, which you're not supposed to do. But, you know, I'm tired and I don't want to deal with it. So uh, I let them pull me towards the person that's approaching us. And they're barking and I guess Haven was growling, but I was not... Uh, bringing that into my consciousness because I knew that she's not a threat, that neither one of them poses any danger. You know, she can't, I don't think she can see very well in certain circumstances. And so I also know, you know, when I was with her and strangers all winter long, all she would do is roll over and pee. She is super, super submissive. So there is no, and the other dog knows the person that was walking towards us. And so I had no focus or uh, awareness that there was any threat. Okay, so in my mind, the threat potential is zero. But I can see from the other person's side, it might look a little threatening to see these two dogs pulling me towards them, uh, barking and growling. But I was tired. And so I wasn't really thinking about that. 
Uh, the other person said, are they okay? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, don't worry about it. Because I knew all she does is get up to people, roll over and pee, right? But this other person doesn't know that. So this other person then was put on defense uh, and is concerned. Then, you know, we're in closer proximity. Uh, and this other person starts telling me uh, what I'm doing wrong, here, this is what you need to do so that the dogs don't pull. So I'm already irritated and I'm starting to get more irritated. And I, but in my mind, I, you know, just shut up, Jill, and let it happen. So she took the dog and she was trying to correct the dog and he's jumping. And I'm like, I don't want him jumping, you know, with their forefronts on your chest. I don't want that. Right. So I'm like, he can't do that. So I'm pulling him back down and she's doing something. And uh, this is what you need to do, and it's not working. And so, you know, I'm tired, and I just want to leave. And so I, um, you know, I grab them, and I'm frustrated, and they're agitated now because they're excited. They, you know, I've never had, like, well-adjusted dogs. You know, they're happy. They're, you know, they're excited because there's this other person. You know, I'm agitated because I'm trying to be told what to do with my dogs and um, I don't care right then, right? All I want to do is go back and sit down. So uh, I'm trying to make them sit because this other person is obviously afraid and, and needing my dogs to be under control. So her fear is comfortable. And then, you know, they say to me, there, you know, dogs feed off your energy. And then I just snapped because I'm like, I can't do this. And I stormed off. And, and the reason I'm bringing that up, I'm like, it's such a perfect example of what's happening to us at the great big level. So I was correcting her behavior because she was pushing a boundary on me. I'd already tried a few times to be polite. She wasn't hearing me say, no, I don't want your advice. And she kept pushing, pushing, right? Do this, do that. And I know all this stuff. Like I'm tired and I don't want to deal with it. And I just took the dogs out to pee. It's not a big deal. And when they're with me, they're infinitely better behaved than when they're with a stranger because they're excited. And uh, I didn't have the energy to deal with that in a corrective way. So I'm just trying to get them out of the way. So anyways, I snapped and I didn't hit her physically, but energetically, it feels like a dog growl and almost a lunge, right? So that's how the dog would correct. So, you know, Haven, when she gets around one of the dogs on the property, that dog growls and makes her go totally on her back. And that's how that dog tells Haven, you need to stay away from me, right? That's her correcting it. Haven doesn't have a huge emotional issue with it. She just does it. And then there's no baggage, right? That's just a correction. That's just uh, the the boundary that was set because dogs aren't having big, long, emotional, intellectual, analytical, opinion-based conversations about every single thing. All they know is you're in my space. I don't feel safe. You need to lay down so I know that you're safe. So without thinking about it, what I was doing is saying, I can't take it. You're pushing into my space. I need to shut, shut it down. And that boundary was, I can't deal with this. 
And and I know that my energy is intense and uncomfortable for other people. But the people who it's most uncomfortable for are people who are fight, flight, freeze people. Fight people would just either blow it off and it wouldn't bother them or they'd laugh at me or they would hit me, right? So they would have a response that I could contend with. But freeze, flight people are got their feelings hurt because they feel uh, I have pushed into their comfort in a way that we as a culture and society have not allowed ourselves to understand. And we make the fight person wrong. You were mean. You hurt my feelings. And really what's happening is I'm setting a boundary. I do not want your advice. I do not want to talk about this. You're not hearing me. And I'm too tired to explain it to you patiently, right? Nature doesn't have all these freaking rules about how we have to communicate, right? And so the reason I'm talking about that is that that's exactly what's happening to us at a very collective level, where every time we want to say no, we're being told that's not okay. We're passing a law. We're passing a regulation. We're passing a rule. We are uh, making it illegal. We're charging you a fine. We're requiring a permit. We're telling, we, the, the establishment, we are telling you what you can and can't do. You know, first it's at a country, then it's a state, then it's in the community, then it's in the religious order, then it's at work, then it's in the family, then it's, you know, one-on-one. And it's that constant negotiating of who has the authority to tell us what we can and can't do. And this is what grooming is. You know, you groom a child to accept physical violation, sexual violation, by starting with uh, putting your hand on their knee and the child squirms and you say, no, no, it's okay. Or you say, here's a lollipop or uh, you, you remove it. And then the next time you push in a little further and the next time you push in a little further because every normal instinct that that child has that says no, back off, the adult dismisses. Now the fight child might, you know, react, hit and run away. Uh, but the freeze and the flight child might will will either withdraw into themselves or start to crumble. Now obviously when you're an infant, the younger you are, the less physical options you have to respond. And obviously if you're, you know, a, a baby, you have no ability to respond but to cry. And eventually, you know, you stop crying because it doesn't work. You give up, you become helpless. That's what gaslighting is. It's the mental, uh, what's the word? It's it's mentally pushing the boundary. Uh, I think someone's following me. Nobody's following you. Uh, I think somebody's trying to break into the house. Nobody's trying to break in the house. So there's this, this uh, I think it's Richard Pryor. There's the joke where he's in bed with another woman and his wife opens the door and he says, well, I'm not having an affair. I'm not, there's no woman here. I'm not having sex with her. So you're being challenged 
and dismissed because your nervous system is saying danger, 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 and you are being uh, manipulated into not trusting what you think. Uh, that's what emotional manipulation is, right? You don't feel that way. No, honey, you know, one of my, the best examples is, you know, the little kid says, uh, I don't want to hug Uncle Joe. No, go ahead, hug, hug Uncle Joe. And the kid's like, but I don't want to, and crying. And the parent forces the child to push onto Uncle Joe and be hugged because you need to be polite. You need to respect your elders. You need to tell, do what I tell you to do. And so that child is learning I can't do what I know is true for me. I have to follow rules. And then that child collapses and doesn't have good boundaries, doesn't know how to trust what it feels because it's been told over and over and over again. It doesn't know, that child doesn't know, that child is wrong, that child can't trust what's going on with it. And this is how we get so screwed up. And, you know, one of my issues right now with this whole trauma work that everybody's getting all excited about is that trauma is basically a boundary issue, right? It's something that happens to you that you don't want. And how you respond with fight, flight, freeze is wildly impactful for your experience with the trauma. You know, one of the things that they now know is if you're, a woman is being raped, if she fights back, she has less PTSD than if she just does nothing. Now, women were told at one point in time, just lie there and take it and you might survive. And now we know that that's not the right advice. You know, we know never go to the second location. Do whatever you have to do to not go to the second location. And one of the things I think that, you know, I can see, this is how culture and society change, is now even children will fight back. And they have, we have brought that awareness into the collective, never go to the second location, to the point where even little kids will fight back when someone's trying to put them in the van. But so many of us have had our natural nervous system response that's begging us to set a boundary, right? I don't want to eat that. I don't want to go there. I don't, this doesn't feel safe. Because children can't articulate that and they're still learning and adults don't want to make waves. We just want to get along, right? Just be quiet, honey. Just sit still. Just, just, just. And so, you know, bringing in the last factor of all this with the predator prey, the predator is always pushing, pushing boundaries. Now, the predator needs to, to exist because humans need to eat. But if all humans were predators, we'd wipe ourselves out. So you have to have some people that are predators and some people that are prey. Uh, in the animal world, you know, there's usually species that are predators and species that are prey. But like in a wolf pack, you have a predator that leads and then you have the omega, which is more acting in the prey stance. It just sits there and lets itself be attacked. So 
It's not an absolute. There's sophistication. There's degree. There's a gradation. You know, there's a capacity to understand different situations call for different responses. But the human is erasing all that with domestication. And that's what we see with dogs. You know, they're putting dogs on antidepressants and tranquilizers. And because the dog isn't screwed up until it comes into the human environment. And the human is screwed up because we're coming into the civilized world environment in which we are trying to deny every instinct within us that's screaming at us. You know, one of the key things about anxiety that I tried to tell people is that anxiety is a message. It's not a disorder. It's telling you something is wrong. And instead of asking ourselves the question, what's wrong? What do I need to look at? We're like, how can I medicate myself so I don't have anxiety? Now, it might be something as simple as you're not eating enough protein, right? If you eat too much uh carbohydrate and caffeine, you're going to be anxious because you don't have any protein and fat to anchor that. Uh, If you, you know, we know that if you jack up on stimulants, right, caffeine, nicotine, amphetamines, you start to feel anxious because you're releasing too many stimulating chemicals. Uh, But anxiety is part of that stress response saying there's something you need to pay attention to, there's something you need to pay attention to. And because we are not trained to ask the question, why am I anxious? Instead of how do I make the anxiety go? What we do is we, how do I make the anxiety go away? Instead of like, why am I anxious? Because it's not normal to be anxious all the time. And, you know, I'm sure there are certain medical conditions which create imbalances within us. But most of us aren't anxious because there's something wrong with us. We're anxious or we're having stress or anxiety or we're not sleeping because there's a lot that's wrong right now. You know, I've always been able to just go to sleep, but especially, you know, like this last year, I can feel my anxiety is escalating, you know, thinking about all the things that are happening and it's getting really, really scary. I don't need to take medication to calm my anxiety. You know, I need to trust myself that there's a reason to be anxious. There's reason that things are happening Uh, And, you know, what do I, what can I do to best manage that? You know, some things I can control and some things I can't control, but that's who we are as human. And, and in a perfect world, we would understand this about ourselves. You know, this, this fixation on mental illness and mental health as a disorder instead of messaging has gotten, as far as I can see, is way out of hand. You know, we're pathologizing everything instead of asking these very simple, basic questions. You know, when I came up with the Primal Human Training Program, it was because I had this awareness. You know, I was raised in an environment, you know, that was a a behavioral model. Mental and emotional was the cause of everything, uh, or spiritual was the cause of everything. Uh, And then I moved into the physical, you know, and I started to learn about hormones and neurotransmitters. And I'm like, no, it's not all mental and emotional. Some of it's just because we're out of whack. And I tried to, you know, control everything with food and that didn't work. Uh, But when I moved into this outside life, it just all clicked because everything our human body is designed to do 
is based on us living completely opposite of the way we live right now. You know, we're, we're designed to live outside and to put our feet on the ground and interact socially with a small group of people and live by the seasons and be allowed to have feelings and be active and move around and be in the sun and sleep under the stars. And everything that is biological to us is based on us being outside and part of a group and living in a very natural way. Now, I will be the first to admit it's really nice to get shelter. It's nice to go inside. It's nice to have electricity. It's nice to have uh, artificial light. It's really nice to have hot water. It's really nice to have television. And it's really nice to have the internet. And it's really nice to have cell phones. And it's nice to have a car. All these things of civilization are very nice. But they are the antithesis of what we were wired and built biologically to do function and be in a way that makes us sane and healthy. And because we're so far away from that, we don't think about ourselves that way. We don't think about our instinct of fight, flight, freeze. We don't think about growling to set a boundary because, you know, I snapped at that person. To a dog or a wolf, it would be dismissed. It would not, but instead we think about it and it becomes... Uh, you know, that person is rude. There's no, there's no accountability on the, the pushing of the boundary. All the accountability is held to the setting the boundary, right? So we don't get mad at Uncle Joe for wanting to invade the child's space. We get mad at the child for wanting to say no to having their space invaded. And that's what we're seeing. Like as I'm recording this, you know, one of the things that happened yesterday in New Mexico is our governor, who is this short, tiny woman, told people in Albuquerque they cannot open or conceal carry a weapon because there's been a rash of shootings. Now, Albuquerque is really scary. It's as bad as, you know, some of the inner cities in Southern California, uh, you know, that I've been in. I don't like to go to Albuquerque. It's full of crazy people. But in addition, the police officers have a way higher than normal uh, incidence of shooting innocent people. It's just a bad, bad city. Uh, We are a democratically led state that's full of rural people who are very uh, Second Amendment. So uh, the northern part of New Mexico is more blue, the southern part is more red, uh, and the cities like the city of Albuquerque, which is our main city, Uh, Santa Fe is the the capital, but Albuquerque is the main city. It is scary. Uh, The police and the sheriff for that Albuquerque said they won't enforce it. But she is saying the only way to stay safe is for the people who follow the rules to put their guns away. Because we all know, you know, the criminals, right? The people who are emotionally Uh, imbalanced holding a gun, we know they're going to put their gun away. I mean, it's just, but basically what you're saying is to, to put your instinct to protect yourself away and trust me that you will be safe. 
in a city that's extremely violent with a law enforcement that is extremely violent. I mean, everything instinctually, instinctually about yourself should scream, that is crazy. And, you know, at a very practical level, we all know that that doesn't work. But, you know, she to me is so interesting because she's this tiny little woman who's on a super power trip because physically she could never protect herself, right? She's not somebody that could ever physically put anybody in their place. But she's gained a lot of power because nobody has held her in check. And that's what that experience reminded me of when I snapped at that person who's very nice and was very well-meaning. And, you know, what I missed in all of that is her fear was triggered when I was walking up to her with my two dogs barking at her. Her fear was triggered. She responded to her fear by trying to control my dog's behavior. I was too tired to manage that at a level of kindness. Uh, I tried to just allow it. And then when it got too much, I moved into being aggressive. That's because I am a fight person. So when I get pushed past my point, I respond with fight. She's not a fight person. And so she was doing her best to respond in a way to stay safe. And we bang and we clashed because in nature, that's what you would do, right? All right, I understand that you're afraid, but now you're way over the line. So what we do in politics is we push, we push, we push. And people who are not good people who are seeking power and are never held in check because those of us who are designed in nature to hold that person in check, we're not reinforcing. So if I had never said anything and I had totally accommodated her, then I would be reinforcing her pushing into my space was okay. Uh, and, th- and it's a, it's just an example. It's not you know, she wasn't doing anything wrong. We were just both doing the best we could with a situation. But when you get into the rest of the world, like politics, right, we have the short little woman pushing, 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 right? And there's no accountability. There's no push back. And we may, uh, you know, scream in the papers and we may carry on, but it doesn't matter because we allow We've allowed it to get and escalate to a point, you know, where the Constitution is gone. You know, government, the American system was designed to try to hold people who seek power in check. But because those of us who were physically wired to hold others in check don't pay attention or it's not bothering me or I don't want to deal with it, uh, People who are not meant to hold power can keep pushing, who are predators in a not good way, right? So uh, I, I want more power. Let me pass this law. Let me pass that law. Let me pass that law slowly, incrementally. Uh, and the rest of us aren't paying attention. In nature, that would never happen. It would never happen in a pack because it's held in check from day one. The whole pack is teaching those puppies and those babies, who's allowed to be a leader and who's not. 
and who's an alpha and who's not. And the alpha may try to challenge and then that challenger may get killed because that's the way nature operates. It has a very simple system to hold the power structure in check. Humans, with our domestication and our civilization, have dismissed all those rules. And so I was trying to think about how this very simple idea gets applied at the very big level. And and it goes back to boundaries, right? It goes back to, all right, well, you can do what you want, you know, in church, I just won't go anymore. Uh, you can do what you want at this corporation, I'll just quit my job. Uh, you can do what you want in this state, I'll just move. But we're at a point now where there's nowhere left to go. There's almost no country you can go to that we have not in our not wanting to, to, to understand who we are and our not willingness to hold evil in check, it's taken over. And now it's pushing into our bodies. It's in our food. It's in our air. It's in the ground. It's in the water. It's in the injections. It's, it's everywhere. We are no longer able to stop it because we have not kept the predator in check because we, those of us who were wired to do so didn't want to pay attention or we just wanted to get out of the way. And it's only when there's nowhere, like your back is against the wall, right? Now, like I was, I got super angry because my back was against the wall. Like I, I can't have this conversation rationally anymore. I'm too tired. But in the same way, you know, we're at a point now where we can't have the conversation rationally because there's nowhere left to go. The rules, the law enforcement, the politics, you know, the military, er the money system, the food system, the healthcare system, everything has been taken over. There's nowhere left to go. Our backs are against the wall and you're going to see the crisis escalate because eventually those of us who push back because we didn't do it when we were supposed to do it, we are going to push back and that's when the violence is going to escalate. And, you know, I started all this because I was thinking about as women, we can't physically push back. We can't control a situation through physical domination. And it's just part of this endless cycle about who's in charge, who's trying to control who, who's claiming authority, who wants to be responsible for what. Uh, and it's a dynamic that's playing out, not because it's right or wrong, but it's teaching us about how we all need to understand responsibility, power, accountability. And we understand it through the experience of being in all these different situations. And so when we try to analyze, you know, what happened with me and this other person, right? You can spend all day about who was right and you did this and you did that, right? And you should apologize. You know, you could spend all day analyzing it. The reality was it doesn't have anything to do with that. It was a fear, stress response, boundary issue. And because we don't understand it at an instinctual level, we manage it at a mental and emotional level, right? And so 
it becomes about the being right about the idea. So, you know, if you look at the gun situation in Albuquerque, it's about our right to carry our gun, our right to self-defense. But the reality is, is it's no, like who's the authority for my personal safety? Is it me or is it you? And that's played out over and over and over again. Who is responsible for me eating? Who is responsible for me having shelter? Who is responsible for me being healthy? Is it me? Is it who grows the food? Is it who runs the healthcare system? It's, is it who pays for who, how I get health care, right? It's where we put responsibility, who we choose to have the accountability component, who is going to be in control if we do not claim authority, and, and can we claim authority? Who should have authority? And we're focused on all of this as if there's a right answer and there's a perfect way to be. And I don't believe that. I believe that all of this is an exercise for us to experience how, who we are within the system uh, in relationship to what we're here to learn. And we're all having very different experiences with push-pull-pause, with fight-flight-freeze, with want-not-want, with... Uh, predator and prey, because as humans, we are both. We are predatory and we are prey. Now, we all lean more into one or the other, but we all have the experience of that. And it's, it's wired into us the same way it's wired into a wolf pack. And I think the dog's show us what happens when you deny what's what is wired in you and you move into domestication versus when you move back into the wild if you put dogs back into the wild they immediately sort all this out when you put dogs into more and more intensely domesticated situations the more and more they act out. And I don't believe we're any different. We are in such denial of who we are meant to be biologically that we're so screwed up. Uh, I don't see a way out of it. I don't think there's a way to accommodate it. I don't think there's a way to fix it. The only thing I see is a way to understand it and then make decisions about who you want to be. And as you understand yourself, you can understand what others are doing. So I could, you know, spend the rest of my life being mad because somebody was trying to tell me what to do. Or, you know, I can step back and say, you know, she was in fear responding to how she knew to respond. I wasn't in fear, but I was in boundary violation. Get out of my space. And I reacted the way I am wired to react. And that's not right or wrong. That's just life. A constant dance, a constant negotiation, a constant back and forth in the same way that, you know, for every single time Haven runs up to this other dog, this other dog growls on her and she flips on her back and she pees, right? There's just, this will be the way it will always be. 
she doesn't get her feelings hurt. The other dog doesn't get her feelings hurt. Uh, Haven doesn't challenge her because she's not an alpha. She's very submissive. Uh, and nobody thinks about it. We just move on. But as humans, we spend this endless amount of energy analyzing and opining and negotiating and making rules. Well, you know, and so the rules would be, well, you can't, you have to keep your dog back because your dog is growling at my dog. Or from my side, it would be like, you you need to keep your dog away from me because your dog is threatening my dog. And we have to do some of that. You know, if that dog was hurting Haven, then I would say, you know, I can't put my dog over there, right? So there has to be some management. But if we can just step back and stop looking at all these things as mental illness or uh, victims or any of this stuff, you know, if we can step back and look at there is a physiology, a biology to how we are reacting to stress and fear and danger, and we can understand that wiring system, we can navigate what's happening a little better. Uh, I think it's too late to change it, and I don't see anything good coming from it at this point. But somewhere down the road, very, very far away, you know, hopefully we can reintegrate back to who we are as human and how we could be healthier and happier uh, by simply understanding that as much as we are mental, emotional, spiritual beings, we're also operating in a body that is wired very instinctually within this human, natural, physical world and trying to control it all intellectually or control it all emotionally or control it all spiritually will never work. I mean, there's just certain basics to being physical and being human that are real that we can manage in a better way, but it's not going to go away. And and that's, you know, what we're seeing is we're trying, we're seeing the manipulation to make humans more docile, to try to take away all these things about us that allow us to survive and perpetuate the species. So I'm going to wrap it up here. This is just me doing, you know, a big download dump on a hugely complex idea that most people could care less about. But, uh, like I said, I'm pooping out. I just want to, you know, get some of these ideas out into the ethers. Uh, and it will sit on the internet now as long as we have an internet. So maybe uh, it will make sense to somebody who will be able to do something with it someday at some point. Because it isn't going to be me that's going to be able to uh, communicate all this. So that's it for today, kids. So big, 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 simple, 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 overwhelming, overwhelming, overwhelming. But this is, you know, within all complexity is a very core simplicity. And if we can step back and get off the who's right and who's wrong and you hurt my feelings and all that kind of stuff, uh, you can see it more objectively. At least you can manage it a little better so that you're not being as uh, reactive, but there's no fixing what's going on. We stopped setting boundaries to evil predators a long time ago, and we're letting 
weak people like Bill Gates and George Soros and the governor of New Mexico were letting weak people push us around because there was no system that put them in check when they were little kids that said, no, you can't do that. No, you can't tell me what to do. No, we didn't set those boundaries when they were little and we didn't set them when they were in college and we didn't set them when they were in business. And now they're in government and now they're in positions of authority. And because they don't understand consequences, they think they can do whatever they want. That would never, ever, ever happen in the animal kingdom. And look what's happening to us. We have weak, childish, insecure people dominating us, killing us, controlling us. And you just say, how the hell did that happen? It happened because they were never held in check because we punish the person that tries to say no. We punish the child that says no. We punish those who try to give the warning. We kill the messenger who's screaming, danger, danger, danger. We hate the person who feels predatory that's trying to protect us. And we believe the person who is predatory, who tells us in a soft way that they're trying to save us. All of this is super core instinctual biology that we have escalated into mental, emotional, and spiritual complexity in a thousand times a thousand different forms. But it all boils down to the very simple place of we just want to be safe and we just want to be comfortable. And who do we give responsibility to? How do we hold ourselves accountable? And who has the authority to make that decision for us? It really is that simple. So All right, I'm going to stop talking because this is like a lot. So have fun with all of that. (laughs) Deep breath, and I will see you next time.